Ron Johnson is Minnesota Sports. One of a kind opinions, big name guests, the teams you care about every, every, every day. It's the Ron Johnson Show, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Show, and I am your host, Ron Johnson. And on today's show, we're going to have a, a special guest coming up, Super Bowl champion Ben Utech. We're also going to jump into the Minnesota Wild, the Timberwolves. The city of Minneapolis is excited about what's to come. We're not going to talk twins just yet because playoffs are so far away. But the Vikings, fans are excited about what's going on. You hear Justin Jefferson make comments. But let's jump into the A topic. We're in the playoffs right now. The Timberwolves have exceeded, exceeded what people thought. If you told me a 23-win team would make the playoffs, even though 7C would make the playoffs, I'm not sure I would take that bet knowing that you have to increase by at least 17 wins, at least 17 to 18 wins in order to accomplish what they've done. When you look at the Clippers were 40 and 40 at one point. So you're thinking you got to get to at least 41 wins or 42 wins even to feel secure for that play in eighth seed. But as we jump into this and my producer, Sam, is with me today. Sam, when you think about the Minnesota Timberwolves, I don't think that strikes fear in a lot of people. I think that's why so many people aren't taking them serious. So the question you posed to me was, what are the expectations or what are going to exceed my expectations? Well, I, I say Western Conference Finals. Uh, when you look at the fact that they're probably going to have to go up against the Wizards next, um, I think Western Conference Finals. Now, if Steph Curry pulls a Kevin Durant, comes back too soon, hurts his foot again, because right now he's saying he's not 100% and he doesn't need to be. Well, if I'm the Timberwolves and I hear that, and, and you can't overlook the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies are the two seeds, so you got to win that, and who knows what's going to happen there. But if you heard that, I don't have to be 100% to do what I do in the playoffs. <clears throat> My thought is, man, we just got to beat the Grizzlies, and then we got to put the pressure on Steph to have to do everything possible on that, that bad wheel. And, and so when you're thinking about Clay Thompson just coming back from, from injury, you know, working himself back into basketball shape, um, regular season basketball shape and playoff basketball shape are totally different things. So my expectations for them exceeding it would be Western Conference Finals. Uh, a letdown would be getting absolutely destroyed by the Grizzlies after that celebration they just had and going out for nothing. That, that would be a complete disappointment. When you look at the Wild and you look at their stat totals and you look at Kevin Fiala and you look at, you know, uh, Flurry right now, what he's doing and, and how well he's playing and how they have two goalies that they can really count on. I mean, not a lot of teams can say that. Some teams say we have a starting goalie and then we have a guy that we're going to bring in. Well, the Wild have an embarrassment of riches right now. And, of course, we're not even talking about Kirill Kaprizov who's leading the team. You look at their size, their ability to lean on folks, their ability to, to push you into the crease, hit you against the boards, and really lean on you when they're up so that you're tired. And that 90 seconds, you're coming off a lot sooner, or in that 90 seconds, you're just gassed because you're like, man, these dudes are so big, so long, so strong. And so I think the same for them, the conference finals or whatever it is for the Stanley Cup, the final four, that's – that for me, I don't think that's exceeding expectations for me for the Wild, where they are right now. When you look at where they stand right now, 
their size, their ability to score, uh, they have to get to that final four. Again, another disappointment for them would be exiting in the first round. You know, with all the the hype right now around the wild, all the players are adding, all the tweets about them, uh, the, the way they're putting up three to five uh, goals a game, the way everybody's contributing, the assists, the goals, you know, all the buzz to lose in the first round, that would be a huge disappointment in my opinion. That's just me, though. For the Timberwolves, you have to be competitive. You have to go out there and compete. You have to show these Grizzlies that you are better than them. You have to show Carl Anthony Towns to the world and say, stop, one, stop saying I'm the biggest shooting best big man. Yes, we know you've won a three-point contest. That's shooting in a bubble. That's having fun with your friends at the park. You do it in the game. Put your back to the basket and be a bully. Be a big man. You know, look at, at Jokic, what he does. You know, it's okay to shoot every once in a while, but you have to pick your shots. If you're wide open at the top of the key, take it. But don't force it because you just want to get a three off to tell everybody you're the best, you know, big man shooting guy in the world or ever and all this stuff. Like, play your game. Be big. Go down. Use your size. Use the ability that if they want to double team you like we saw, be ready to dump it off. You know, make John Morant force the issue. Make him drive ridiculous and, and throw up crazy shots hoping to get fouls. Um, that's going to be the key. That's going to be Carl Anthony Towns has to stay out of foul trouble. Uh, D'Angelo Russell and, and, and Ann Edwards, they have to find a way to play together. Jared Vanderbilt, he has to come up big. He has to help the team out wherever. If it's offensive rebounds, if it's defensive rebounds, whatever it is, he's got to be able to help this team out. Uh, you're facing a really good Grizzlies team, though. You're, you're facing a guy in Bain who can score in bunches whenever John Morant's not there, and you have a guy in John Morant who is scary. He's not a great like I don't I wouldn't put him in a great three point shooting category. I would say he can shoot, um, but not having a hand in his face that's going to be the key. You have to have a hand in his face, but don't feel like it's Steph Curry. Where you got to run fifty people at him, and you're nervous every time he pulls up because if Jaws off and Jaws forcing it, Timberwolves can win that game and that series. But that would be a disappointment for me. I don't know what do what do you think, Sam? If the Timberwolves win one series, it's a gigantic success. I mean, I, I, I expect, honestly, I, I expect a competitive series against Memphis, and I think that they're they're probably not favored to win it. I mean, I think that realistically, the, the likeliest case scenario is Memphis wins this series in six or seven. If the Wolves can steal the series and go play Golden State or, or Denver, that's a gigantic success. I don't think they can defend well enough two series in a row to make the Western Conference Finals. That's why I'm not expecting that. Um, I would just love, you know, a competitive series, maybe a Wolves upset against Memphis. That would be unbelievable for this franchise um, because they're already playing with house money. This is already kind of a successful season for them, where they've gotten versus where they've been. Now, the Wild, I think back to a video that, that came out before the season well, where uh, Bill Guerin was in the locker room talking to the team, and he said, you know what this season is about? It's about bleeping winning. That's the sole focus of this team. They they have set the bar at Stanley Cup. So if they do anything less than make the Western Finals, I think it's going to be disappointing. And you know what? They are running into an absolute buzzsaw with the way the NHL bracket is laid out. They're going to have to play St. Louis in the first round. St. Louis is 9-0-1 in the last 10. If they win that series, they got to play Colorado, who's arguably the best team in hockey. They've won uh, nine of their last 10. They're both going into the playoffs on an absolute tear 
and the Wild are right in that part of the bracket. So I think the Wild have a, a really tough path, but I think they're also the higher-end team. So it's going to be a bloodbath in the NHL playoffs. It could go either way, but I think the Wild need to justify those lofty expectations by going in and winning two series. They've only been to the Western Finals once, ever, in 20-plus years. Um, and this is the team, I think, that has to do it. I mean, they've set the bar there from the beginning, and they got to deliver. Yeah, and, and so when you think about that, you know, you laid it out perfectly. Um, any sport is about momentum. If you think about the Warriors and the times they've won and people uh, question it, or the 72-whatever win season, 73-win season they lost, what happened? Kyrie Irving, momentum. He that, that bucket to him looked like the ocean. It's about momentum. So it's not always about, like you say, those nine-win teams right now out of ten – if the Wild can get hot and play the Kyrie Irving role where they just do not care who's playing in front of them, they don't care who you line up against them. They don't care if it's the Hawks, the Mohawks, the Sawhawks, the Seahawks. Line them up, we're going to beat them. And I think that's what the Wild, uh, when you think about it, and I keep hearing about their size and their length, um, you know, you just watch some of the plays that are happening. It, it's crazy you know, the things they can do. And again, back to the wild, same thing. I think it's about momentum. I think they have it right now, at least for the seven C win, the play and win, the energy they got, the, 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 the mentality they have now. Um, but also they have to realize now the world is watching their game was the best playing game of all of them that played every other playing game was a snooze fest. Every other playing game just doesn't have the same oomph that theirs had. And, you know, this playoff series, you look at the, the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves, it's the best matchup right now as far as on paper. When you look at Ann Edwards and John Morant and the athleticism, you look at Steven Adams, you look at Carl Anthony Towns and the brutality that's going to happen. Like, that's what people are looking forward to. You know, then it comes down to Bain and, and D. Russell. Which, which third guy is going to show up? Is Bain going to get it done or is D. Russell going to get it done? Because I think the superstars and the bigs have to cancel each other out. And hopefully our big comes on top of theirs, but you comes out on top. But you got you have to have that third guy. You have to have that third guy to, to make some noise. And, and we don't know who the unsung – it could be Beasley. Might need to hit four threes. We don't know who the unsung hero is going to be, that third wheel. But somebody has to do it. But as we jump into this championship mentality, we're going to bring Ben Utech into the Ron Johnson show. So stick around for that. Now joining the Ron Johnson show, we have Ben Utech, one of my former teammates. I remember recruiting Ben. Short story, <laughs> Ben was a receiver. I forget the high school, uh, possibly Hastings maybe, but Ben Hastings, was a receiver. that's it. Yep, Ben was a receiver, came in. Joker Phillips said, man, we got to get this tall, lanky, 6'6 kid to play receiver. <laughs> ben shows up. They're like, man, eat some steak and potatoes. You're going to tight end. <laughs> best decision of Ben Utech's life. He ends up being one of the best tight ends I've seen in the Big Ten. Goes on to play for the Indianapolis Colts. I heard tons of stories when I got to the Colts as a coach about Ben Utech and his guitar and singing at training <laughs> oh, camp. Geez. and. Peyton Manning, like, man, if you don't put this guitar away and pick up the playbook. Uh, but I want to welcome Ben Utech in. Ben, uh, as we're jumping into this right away, man, championship yeah. mentality, go for football as well. 
first off, man, why why Minnesota? You're a hometown kid. Why did you pick to stay in the state of Minnesota to play? Gosh, you know, Ron, maybe maybe for some of the same reasons you did. I mean, uh, Coach Glenn Mason had just taken over, and you know, he had been a part of rebuilding a, a couple of programs already, and and the the recruiting class that I came out with, if you remember, um, consisted of Thomas Depay and Phil Archer and a number of um, of really highly recruited, you know, homegrown Minnesota players. And we all collectively kind of talked about how we wanted to be a part of transforming um, this Minnesota into the state of football. And so that that's really a big reason why we stayed is is um, is because we believed in Coach Mason and all the talent that um, that he had brought onto the program like yourself. And, you know, look, look what we did together Ron. I mean, we had a we had a great run and and. I think went to four bowl games and, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it holds a lot of dear memories for me. Yeah. When you're looking at Glenn Mason, so now let's transfer into PJ Fleck and now you're yeah. starting to see that Trey Bixby decides to stay home. Number two player in the state of Minnesota. Uh, you're seeing a lot of uh, Minnesota talent. I just heard a story about JD Spillman uh, possibly wanting to be a gopher, but, but when uh, Nebraska said they would trade him or trade him transfer, uh, they told him he could not transfer into the big 10. So that's why he picked TCU. Uh, they would not release him into the transfer portal. Cause this is before the true portal. It was just, Hey, you got to release him in. And uh, they told him we're not, you can't go to the big 10. So he uh, had to pick TCU and then concussions, of course, into his career yeah. at TCU. But when you, when you look at PJ Fleck and what he's trying to build, what is your, thoughts around pj fleck and what this program is going to be i mean i'm a i'm a massive fan ron you know my you know my career after retiring and spending time with with tony dungy you know arguably one of the greatest servant leaders on the planet who won a world championship with this mentality that if you build better men you get better football players uh and i bought in hard and it's it's really become a part of you know my passion today as a chief culture officer and and so when I listen to the words of, of PJ, it's just, it's like music to my ears, right? It's like, it, because it's the combination of, <clears throat> it's a combination of being brilliant with the X's and O's, the strategy of the game of football, but understanding that you're dealing with, with young men, you're dealing with people. And if you can create greater value and greater purpose in their lives, uh, they're going to give you everything that they have. Right. And that's that championship culture mentality. Yeah. And that that's infectious, man. You want to be a part of something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, when you when you think about championship culture, you brought it up. Tony Dungy, um, I, he's one of the reasons I came to Minnesota. He's a gopher. I'm from Detroit. He was from Michigan. Him and my dad were teammates yep. with the Steelers, won two Super Bowls. Uh, Tony called me or called my dad, actually, and said, hey, you should check out Glenn Mason. Glenn Mason's been trying to get in touch with uh young Ron. And so I, I met Glenn and I, I, I agree with what you said. Like I liked what Glenn was saying. Um, you know, he really explained to me that, and for me staying home, Lloyd Carr to this day still calls me a, a, a pussy. Like he does. He, that's what he says. He said, you're, you're a big wuss. Uh, you were scared. Uh, you were scared to play for Michigan. You didn't want to be oh, great. Uh, Eric Campbell, their, uh, their coach. He, uh, he'll, he texts me, he texts me the same thing, uh, but, but all in love, you know, my dad played for Lloyd Carr. Um, in Eastern right. Michigan. So Lloyd just assumed, hey, you're going to follow and, and come play for me. My, your dad played for me. You're going to play for me. And I just 
I just had a different feel when I got to Minnesota, you know, meeting yeah. some of the guys at the time uh, who were transferring in, Karan Riley. Uh, on my trip, we had Jake Cuppy, Arlen Bruce. Um, we had um, – who else was on that trip? Mike Lehan, Tellus Redman, oh, yeah. Jack Brewer. So we all had the same recruiting trip. And so we all were like, man, this might be the spot. And, and Mason did it. PJ now calls it like – uh, I don't even know what he calls it. It's like the big recruit weekend where they have the most recruits. I think Mason right. did that first. We just didn't have a name for it. Like our recruiting trip was loaded with guys yeah. and we all fell in love with the, 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 the team, the guys, the young guys coming in. It wasn't even so much the old guys. It was the new young guys we met because I don't yeah. remember meeting anybody besides like Jimmy Henry and Elvin Jones. And so <laughs> nothing against those yeah. two, but that didn't really impress me. It was the other guys coming in. And so, Ben, we're talking about championships though. And, and we talked about Tony Dungy. The Timberwolves are currently into the playoffs now. Seventh seed, they mm -hmm. got to play the two seed Grizzlies. From a championship mindset, what what do you think the Colts did that other teams, no matter the sport, can emulate? Well, you know, part of it was that they made culture objective. You know, so um, it, it it was something that they actually put time into figuring out how to practice. Right. And so it's like you, you want to help uh, you want to help players go deeper into their interpersonal relationships with each other. Right. You, you talk about the culture that we're in now and the importance of uh, diversity, e uh, equity and inclusivity. Right. How do you do that? How do you bring 53 guys from the you know most diverse areas of the country and you bring them together to create what Tony called family? Right. And, and you know what PJ says about family. Forget about me. I love you. Right. So you're trying to bring these these men together to create a unit that is so strong. There's nothing that can dismantle it. These are guys now that will step onto whatever the field of play is and, and give more of themselves, arguably, um, because of that that family situation. The talent's there. Right, Ron, you can't you don't make it to the NFL if the talent's there. You know, I played for two teams, Indy and Cincy. Okay, I went from Peyton Manning to Carson Palmer. It wasn't that Cincinnati didn't have talent, um, but they had a toxic culture at the time, and and it wasn't it wasn't a strong united family locker room. So so they those two things to me at least from my own experience are what made Indianapolis unique and different. Is you you had a coach that had that had uh, an incredible game plan for creating culture, for creating brotherhood, for creating, um, for using what I think some people view as soft skills, even though they're the hardest skills that I've experienced, combining that with the talent on the field. And now you've got, you've got a group of, of 53 that, that um, care so deeply. They're, they're playing for their coach because they love their coach, because they care. They're not playing out of fear so that they keep their job. They're playing because they they respect deeply um, the coaching staff and the people on the field. And I and I genuinely believe that that is a difference maker. Yeah. And so when you look at Carl Anthony Towns, you know, his him hugging his girlfriend or wife after the game, um, that became a, a, a meme right away because of the guy standing behind them kind of staring, looking like, what are they doing on the court? You look at Patrick Beverly running around the court. Mom's there, you know, family's there, brother's there, cousin's there. Everybody's hugging them. Um, even though they just wanted to play the play and see, you can see that kind of family friendly atmosphere where they're all hugging each other. They're all running around, you know, and people question that. 
Um, mm. From what it sounds mm. like, you're saying Tony Dungy embraced that family mentality that everybody's welcome. Um, you know, we we want your family to feel like they're part of our team and our family. Do you think that's why these Timberwolves players have turned it around and are playing for Chris Finch because they're not afraid to have their wife, you know, show up, you know, after yeah. the game and hug them and kiss them and show affection. Yes. Um, and I think people, un I think people underestimate, you know, relationship, you know, when, when, a, when a man oh hugs his wife after a game, it shouldn't be a joke. It's just, <clears throat> we experienced something. I want to share it with you. It's not just yeah. about me. It's about my family. So what is your thoughts on that for the, for the last one before we yeah. get out of here? Yeah, no problem. So, it reminds me of a powerful story that Brandon Stokely told about Peyton Manning's first week in Denver, right? So Tony Dungy in Indianapolis institutes what's called Family Saturdays. And when we did our last walkthrough, um, all families and kids could come and, and be a part of it. And mm -hmm. there's a story that Tony shares about Peyton coming into, the, into his office, you know, complaining every week because how is he supposed to throw a pass to Marvin Harrison when Marvin's kids hanging all over him, you know, <laughs> out on the field. And, and, and Tony was like, listen, deal with it because this is, this is the culture that we're creating here. We're celebrating, we're celebrating the power of, of, of these types of relationships. Right. So fast forward to Denver, Dungy's now retired. He's doing opening our Sunday night kickoff. Right. And Stokely comes over to the sideline and says, coach, you're not going to be what happened this last week. So Peyton stands up in a team meeting and he says, guys, I'm instituting family Saturdays today. And here's why. And, and Tony said, you know, goes on to, sh to share that after that win, after that Denver Bronco win, Sunday night kickoff, they're in the, um, the press conference room and there's Peyton with both of his kids hanging off of his legs while he's up on the podium doing the interviews. Mm hmm Okay. And what, what followed that season was a Super Bowl championship. So, yep. you know, these things matter. It doesn't mean that you can't win without them, but it does mean that you can win the right way with them. Right. And it's yep. just true. You know, our, our Super Bowl ring, you've seen this on the side, it's the only ring in the history of football to have a belief system engraved in the side of the ring. It's the word faith. Yeah. And what it meant was forget about, or uh, it meant um, freedom for all individuals to trust and hope in each other, right? If you can create that type of environment, you're going to get the best performance out of your team. Right. Well, there you heard it from Ben Utec, Carl Anthony Towns. You're doing it right, man. Celebrating family is not a bad thing. I don't know why society and the internet wants to make fun of it because in the turn way of it, if he got in trouble off the court without his family and something happened where he jeopardized his family life, then we'd be talking bad about them. So you can't win and you can't lose in the way today's people want to laugh and joke about people on the internet. I want to thank Ben Utec for joining the Ron Johnson Show. Great insight. Up next, the Daily Three. That's three questions, three minutes. So stick around for that. And now it's time for the Daily Three. I love the number three. I wore number three. I'm about it. So Daily Three, that's three questions, three minutes. Take it away, Sam. You bet. Uh, the Wild scored three goals last night they win three to two in overtime against the dallas stars kevin fiala had two goals and an assist in the game he's got 28 goals on the year now uh wild still playing really good hockey i want to ask you though about kevin fiala we all talked about kaprizov we talked yesterday about the wild's depth uh we talked earlier this segment about you know sort of their size and physicality we don't always think about kevin fiala anymore with the wild. We think a lot about Kaprizov. We think about sort of their, their team mentality. I think Fiala kind of gets overlooked a little bit. Is he an underrated superstar in this town? 
Uh, I mean, so there's a the thing. I would say he's consistent. So he's kind of, you know, becoming the Adam Thielen. Like Adam Thielen used to be. Now Adam Thielen has gotten hurt um, this last year. Uh, but Adam Thielen used to be like one of the most consistent pieces of the Vikings puzzle. Stefan Diggs became a sensationality type of guy. You had um, uh, Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter, who kind of came into their own right when they started becoming sack masters. And then you had Kirk Cousins come in and steal the show. So so Adam Thielen's always kind of been there as a, as a staple piece. And he's almost like, he's like a couch. You know, the couch in your house is the most consistent, comfortable place to be. You fall asleep on it. You take naps on it. You might eat a snack on it. But at the end of the day, it's kind of where everybody, it's the glue that holds the living room together. And so you think about the flat screen, the 70 inch. Every time you get a new flat screen or a new show comes out, everybody's staring at the flat screen. So that's where I'm going to put Kapril Kaprizov, Kirill Kaprizov. He's the flat screen. He's the flashy HD 4K Spider-Man, Batman movie on the screen that everybody's watching. But we're forgetting that we're sitting on the glue that's holding this living room together. And I think that's where Fiala is. You look at, you know, 73 games played. Very consistent, always out there on the ice, always can count on. You look at uh, 28 goals scored. So not the 42. Kirill's out there. Like, he's he's filling the net up. But you have to look at the points, 68 points, 40 assists. I mean, I think that's the thing. He's just a consistent piece. He's there when he needs to be. He plays his role. He knows that Kirill has to get his, and so he's going to play his role. And and you, it's not often you have a guy – he probably could easily, you know – get get to another team that might say hey you can come in and be our guy let's see what you can do um but is that going to work for him i mean people forget so many superstars have left their group like the okc team with kevin durant james harden and, my, and Wessel, russell westbrook if they had stayed together i think they'd be world champions right now and probably have two the problem was james harden won 80 million dollars they could not keep him kevin durant did not like russell westbrook after a while i don't know why uh, he just was not happy with them, so he wanted to get out of there as well. They just could not get along. Russell Westbrook wanted to be the last guy to take the shot. Kevin Durant was like, it's my team, so if you don't want me to do it, I'm going to go elsewhere if you don't appreciate me. He goes to the Wizards, wins the championship. So when you think about Kevin Fiala, I think that's where we're at with him. I think in town, people just don't understand his greatness. Like People did not understand the greatness of James Harden. He was one of the better players on that team. I loved his game. But he just he wanted to go elsewhere to become a, a superstar. Um, I, I think that's what we're getting out of Kevin Fiala. He's the Adam Thielen of the Wild. He's very consistent. He's there. He's the couch. He's the glue that holds the living room together. This team. Um, and so yeah, I, I think he's definitely underrated in this town. Yeah, people forget that the season before Kaprizov came over. People were talking about Fiala as the next big thing. They were saying, oh, this is great. Parisi is going to pass the torch to Fiala. He's this next superstar. Then Kaprizov came and totally overshadowed him. But people forget that that Fiala at one point was sort of next in line yeah. to be that number one guy. Just another Jefferson hockey Adam story. Thielen. Yeah, a little bit, a <laughs> little bit, a little bit like that. Um, sticking with the wild, Ryan Hartman got in a little brouhaha with the Vander Kane on Tuesday night. Yep. They fought. They exchanged blows. Then they were separated. Ryan Hartman flips him the bird, and he gets fined. Um, not not an NFL sized fine by any means. This is an NHL sized fine, four thousand two hundred fifty dollars. Right. Fans, though, um, in support of Hartman because no one really likes Evander Kane, they've taken to Venmo, paid his fine, and then some. 
So Hartman is donating the difference to, or the whole amount, I'm not sure, to the Children's Hospital, which is a great cause. So did it all work out in the end here, Ron? Is this is this just one of those cool uh, fan initiatives that we see from time to time? Yeah, I, I do. I, I did like that. Um, I think donating the money to, to I mean, the dude, dude makes millions. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he's a millionaire. Um, when you look at Evander Kane, the funniest part of this story is his ex-wife donated she went on Venmo and paid for it like I hate this dude yes you he deserved I wish I could have given the bird every day that's why I left him um so it, it's just it's fun hearted you look at I think like Josh Allen same thing happened when you know something happened with his thing and then the Buffalo Bills donated 17 dollars to Josh Allen for something um you know I think when Carson or not Carson Palmer but like when the Bengals knocked somebody out of the playoffs the Buffalo of fans sent wings to like you know so it's fun it's fun it's when fans get involved um now pat beverly that's a different one his is 30k and of course people made the joke of like send us your venmo and he didn't have a venmo so he created one yeah i don't know if he's gonna get 30k i don't know though maybe he might but bud light is gonna give him a bev light a can of beer now they're gonna make a beer for him so he's gonna get some publicity out of the beer and, and the comments he made during the press conference uh but but i'm for it i think donating the money to charity is the right thing to do uh he even said it like i can pay my own fine it's only 4200 bucks he spends more than that probably on the team dinner so yeah i i like it well since you brought it up let's get into the the beverly thing because he gets fined 30k for his bad language after the play-in win where there was a lot of a lot of curse words during the press conference, a lot of curse words probably on the court. I think he did an Instagram live that was kind of profane. Um, I don't know what the precedent is for this. I guess I haven't I haven't followed it closely enough to know if guys regularly get fined for swearing. I know Pat Beverly knows how to spin a phrase or two. Uh, what do you think about that that decision by the NBA? I think it's dumb. I think 30K is way too much for a guy just showing emotion. He wasn't. So the thing, you get fined in press conferences for bad mouth and a ref, which I think is like $25,000 or something like that, or $50,000. If you question the officiating to the point where you're like saying they're terrible, this has to change. Because I've seen Doc Rivers, I've seen numerous coaches get fined for their uh, pop has done it, you know, getting, you know, the questions they have for the refereeing crew for that game. They've gotten fined. Like you can't denigrate our refs on tv you can't talk down to them because those refs are watching instagram and twitter as well so when you say it and it goes you know viral these refs are seeing it and then they take it personal when they see you later like if somebody constantly talks up bad about me and then thinks i'm gonna go out of my way to be nice to them on the court you, you got another thing coming so it's the humanality of this that people forget that yeah you still can like it's a ticky tacky yeah i don't like that dude he just talked bad about me i'm not i'm not giving that but pat beverly was just cursing having fun enjoying the moment i mean he did have some things to say about the clippers in the trade but at the end of the day the clippers still respect him those players came over and hugged him they were happy for him they're 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 still like it wasn't like after they lost that game they were out of the playoffs they still have a play-in game so the clippers had no bad you know and technically should they should be seven and eight anyway and it just should be over this playing is stupid but whatever um but that's that's where you look at the nba it's 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 getting too soft you know it should be okay to show emotion and say that. That's what the bleep is for. That's what the bleeping button is for. That's what the delay, the seven second delay is for. Like edit it, bleep it out, and let the guy just have fun after a game. But he had some Bud Light up there as well. He was drinking. So you know what happens after a few beers, you know, cause who knows how many beers he had from the court to that press conference. Um, but yeah, I, I don't agree with it. 
Yeah, I just imagine Adam Silver, the commissioner, sitting in his office with a with a little equation chart saying, all right, we've got two F words. We've got <laughs> an A word, a D, and just adding up the number. Like what? Because guys swear all the time, right? So yeah. what is the line? It's just a little bit subjective, seems difficult to enforce on a regular basis. Yeah, if you're not cursing at somebody and you're just cursing to have a conversation and, and show emotion, like, I can't believe we effing won that game. Oh, my goodness, blah, 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 blah. I don't see what's wrong with that. But if he's like, hey, you mf or you're this, blah, blah, he sucks. I can't believe this. I'm going to beat his. Yeah, then, okay, hey, hey, you're a little too aggressive, bro. Let's find you. But emotion, maybe just a little letter. Hey, next press conference, if you guys beat the Grizzlies, please just tone it down a little bit. All right, we got 30 seconds for the bonus question. Sammy Watkins signing with the Packers. He was, uh, I think, a pretty solid free agent who was still floating out there. Would you have liked Watkins on the Vikings roster? Uh, Four million is a little high for a third receiver, in my opinion. Uh, yes, I see what the Rams did with their three, but with that four to five, six million, one, you still got to draft some top-end rookies. You still got to you know, draft some guys um, that you're going to really need. And when you draft a bunch of guys, especially a first rounder, you got to have salary cap to afford to sign these guys. That's the funniest thing is when people draft and they're over the cap after the draft. So they can't even sign some of their rookies until they get their veterans to renegotiate. So I think right now the Vikings are in a holding pattern, um, which tells me maybe they are trying to jump and get a first and maybe even trade up and get two first. Like there's going to be or maybe get an additional second, which is still kind of paying too high end guys if you're going to trade back into that 20 spot because you feel like Derek Stingley is still going to be there. I, I think that's the guy. Um, no, I don't think Sammy Watkins was the answer. I think KJ Osborne is the guy. You got to keep, you know, grooming him, getting him ready to be that three. Yeah, I love Watkins, but I also love another two years of uh, cheap team control for KJ Osborne. And I like drafting receivers. The young receivers have big impacts all the time, so I would go through the draft. And JC Treader is still out there too, so there's there's offensive linemen That's that you my can guy. add. Yep. You can add to the competition uh, in the room and really have a true training camp battle for that offensive line. You know, starting five. So I I, I definitely think let, let's let's look at what matters. I don't think receivers going to matter as much when you look at Irv Smith is probably going to be used a little bit better. Um, so no, I I think Sammy Watkins. I, I don't think, and honestly, I don't know if he's going to help the Packers as much as they think he is. Yeah, well, they needed someone because I think it was yeah. Alan Lazard their number one receiver until yep. they signed. No, and Watkins. I get it. I get it. You lose Devontae Adams, you go get Sammy Watkins. Yeah, okay. <laughs> good luck with that well that'll do it for the ron johnson show today i want to thank you guys for watching please subscribe on youtube and you can also download and listen wherever you are wherever you get your podcast thank you and have a great day